the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. And, uh, well, it's an important day in the history of America, but not because it's historically good but because, well, it's historically bad. Well, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. So good to be with you. Such an interesting time we have. Uh, I will have, uh, we will have some great interviews again today. And I want to remind you, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. If you go there, you can sign up for the daily email that I send out. It's called The Daily Wink, What You Need to Know. And also, you can see the recent interviews. There's been some great ones, and I hope you'll take the time to listen to those and uh, forward them on social media and otherwise uh, spread the word. In a few moments... We will have a chance uh, to talk to Kimberly Herman. Kimberly Herman has, um, well, and actually, this happens quite a bit. You try to get somebody on the show, and then it's bouncing around. Kimberly Herman, Kimberly Herman, pardon me, is over at Campus Reform, a project of the Leadership Institute. She's going to talk about what the Biden administration is doing to infringe on First Amendment rights. And then we'll talk with the famous, amazing Star Parker. If you haven't read her books, you haven't read some one of the more compelling uh, conservative viewpoints. Star Parker, African-American woman, focused on how to help African-Americans and low-income folks her whole career, writes about it beautifully, writes about it with insight. Very, very impressive lady. We'll talk with her. All right. But what you need to know today, what you need to know today is the impeachment sham is a continuing effort by the narrative machine to try to destroy America. I'm not kidding when I say that. I'm not overstating it. And I want you just to understand this very simply. It's a very simple set of, of facts that underlie what's happening, okay? The narrative machine is made up of it's made up of the fake news media, which is almost all of the mainstream media. It's made up of the big tech which has control algorithmically and with uh, with neuroscience on what we do and what we see, excuse me, on what we see, what we know, and therefore what we do and believe. And also the third party of the narrative machine, the third partner, is the left. The Democrat Party, the left, uh, you know, leftists in general. But frankly, at this point, what you need to know is the left is in power. So the federal government, state governments like California, New York, New Jersey, others... The power, those are the big three, media, tech, and the left in power. And they are united to push a mach- the narrative machine. They're uni- the partners in the narrative machine united to create a narrative storyline that is destroying America. And the storyline goes like this, as I've told you before. You, you must believe that the election was totally free and totally fair. If you doubt it in any way, you are un-American and you're bordering on seditious. And 
people that believed in this terrible, terrible idea that it was neither free nor fair, not only are they un-American and seditious, but they're participants in this terrible set of factors that led to, yep, an insurrection, an armed insurrection, they'll say. Armed, they'll say. No one will show us who was armed, but they'll say it was armed. Where the guy was the was the dude, the shaman in the in the hat with the horns was are the horns considered armed? I don't know. We don't know a lot of facts, but that's because they ignore the facts that won't fill in any details in favor of just saying over and over, armed insurrection, it was an attempted coup, violence, murderous, you're murderous. If you were there on January 6th, the million people that were marching around, not the thousand that did something dumb and walked into a building they shouldn't have, although there's now videos of the uh, Capitol Police escorting people in, waving them in. I don't know how you get charged with trespass when you're being waved in. I mean, the first guys that kicked the door in broke a window. Yeah, okay, I got that. But so far, the deaths, nobody's explained the deaths, including the shooting of a woman. All of it's tragic. All death is tragic. We should start there. I don't ever want to say it's not. Victims, it's true. I don't know all that. But what but there's a certain point here where the narrative machine is not even trying. This is not even an impeachment. The sham is not even impeachment. It's just a piece of the narrative that is being played out. And I have to tell you, it's very, very effective. And what you need to know is the power of the partners, big tech, big media, and the left in power, we've never had this much power arrayed in, in, in pursuance of a message of a, of a specific set of ideology, of ideas that's meant to crush 74 million people who voted for Trump. It's not meant to make you um, uh, kind of think differently. No, it's meant to divide our country so that more and more people are faced with the reality that continuing to say you even vaguely supported President Trump makes you an outcast and makes you worthy of being outcast. You know, what, what they really want you to do, what they really think you should do, you should do is that you should, you should be fired, you should repent, you should not hold those positions. And as I've told you over and over again, this is what, also what you need to know. I, I often draw parallels to uh, elections, uh, to uh, things that happen in elections that, um, that have to do with, um, that have to do with um, uh, how things work. If you know candidates and campaigns, you sort of understand these things. I, I often tell you, in politics, in campaigns, you don't win usually on a knockout blow or a, a home run policy argument or even a home run ad. That's kind of, that's kind of apocryphal. It's a thousand details, a thousand actions. If you're in negative, it's a thousand cuts. That's what wins and loses races in politics and campaigns. In this narrative machine, what you're seeing is a thousand facts that aren't the truth but they're offered as facts. They're offered as facts. Offered as facts. Offered as facts. What you have is quickly, quickly. You, in fact, some of the facts are engineered. Nancy Pelosi, put the flags at half mast. Nancy Pelosi, say this, say that. And the context of the carrying of the thing forward by the news and the tech that the left put, puts in place is reinforcing, right? It's, it's a self-referential loop that makes it easy to see and feel that it all fits together even if it doesn't. And so, you know, one of the problems is, 
even the Republicans, and this is another detail of, of campaigns, when a candidate loses for office, he or she has a lot of clarity on how things work because they're not in office. When a candidate wins for office, he or she thinks she's a genius or he's a genius. And, you know, right now there's a lot of people that won for office that say, well, you know, Trump didn't win, but I mean, I did. I, uh, Trump didn't win, but I, I pulled mine out. The race couldn't have been too corrupt because I, I won my race. That's how a lot of people think and feel. And most of the Republicans want to move on. And the narrative machine has been so strong that most of the Republicans in office don't want to talk about the election. I met with someone on the impeachment defense team yesterday, I'm uh, Monday. And when I spoke with this gentleman, he said the senators told them, don't talk about the election fraud issues. We, we don't want that. Why? Because the narrative machine has hammered into people that that's a weird position. That's an anti-American. That's almost a seditious position. And what we're finding out, by the way, more and more, is that there's more and more questions that aren't even, that they're not even hidden now. The Epic Times has a piece where they showed there was 81 court cases, 11 of them dismissed for uh, lack of standing, 23, I, I think, haven't been adjudicated at all. When you get down to about the 27 that have been adjudicated, Trump's won 15. So when you hear that quote, 60 cases and you've won none in court, not true, not true, not surprising. All right, let me finish it this way. What you need to know is the narrative machine the partners, the big three of the narrative machine, big tech, big media, big left in power, big government in power. They are using the impeachment not to convince the senators. They're using it as a made for TV, made for tech, made for consumption. And they're not trying to persuade the 74 million that they were wrong. They're trying to persuade 10 million. 15 million on the edges in campaigns. You don't cut off the, you don't get the whole majority. You don't get 99% of the vote. You just got to move some people off. They're making it in, they're trying to make it impalatable, unacceptable, unpleasant, nearly impossible to be a Trump supporter who believes there was something wrong. That's what's going on. That's what you need to know. All right, we're going to take a break. We got these great guests today. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com to get uh, all of uh, all these interviews and to sign up for the Daily Wink over there, ProAmericaReport.com, and uh, we will be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Be back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I was just recounting off the air that uh, our next guest, uh, Kimberly Herman, is with us. She's the general counsel for the Southeastern Legal Foundation, which is one of these great nonprofit, uh, they call them public interest law firms, constitutional firms. And usually you think of the ACLU and others that do terrible things. Uh, but uh, Southeastern Legal Foundation does great things for freedom and the rule of law and all the things that uh, you should care about if you're a lawyer. And Kimberly Herman is their general counsel. What I was saying to her is I had to cancel last week when I had her on because Campus Reform, the great um, effort run by the Leadership Institute, had a piece Kimberly wrote about 10 days ago called Five Ways the Biden Administration Will Infringe on Your First Amendment Rights. So first, welcome Kimberly Herman to the program. How are you today? I'm doing great, and uh, thanks for having me. I'll take a break from suing the government to talk to you. It's a, it's a nice treat today. <laughs> 
Well, that's great. And I should tell you that I, I was you're a graduate of Wake Forest. I was explaining to my uh, 16-year-old daughter, we're talking about colleges, how great a place Wake Forest is. I, I don't know why I know that. I didn't go there, but I know a great, great place and great, great people graduate from there. So among other things, you have that going for you. All right, Kimberly, before we get into the five ways that you list uh, that the Biden administration will hit the First Amendment, tell me a little bit more about the uh, Southeastern uh, Legal Foundation. Tell our listeners what you do and why it's so important. Yeah, well, I mean, as you mentioned, we are kind of the the answer to the ACLU, right? We are on the conservative side of things, and we sue the government when they infringe on your constitutional rights, plain and simple, whether it's property rights, First Amendment, economic liberties, um, you name it, that's what we're here to do and to to stand up for you. And uh, honestly, it's a privilege to get to to do this every day. Well, so Kimberly, and what, let's talk about this, uh, the essay that you wrote and the five ways the Biden administration is targeting, uh, targeting, um, uh, uh, First Amendment, but bef- but let me let me ask you my question because I read it. and I was thinking though, um, what 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 about this argument that you get from conservatives, where they say, well, look, some of these companies and things that are happening, they're private entities. And by the way, I know the answer. I mean, I know many of the answers. I'm a lawyer too, but but people but people people get that a lot, especially actually libertarians who say, hey, let the market it'll work it out. If they're mean to people over time, it'll equal out. There's there's something different with some of the problems we're seeing in society that it's that that you know that's impinging on our rights yeah that that's right i mean the private entities are private entities you enter into contractual relationships with them you were talking about wake forest university where i went it's a private university um so when they infringe on first amendment rights they shouldn't but it's different when it's the government doing it i mean they're supposed to be the ones who support free speech that's what the constitution says Right. Right. So, all right. So now we're down to these, some of these hate speech codes or hate speech bans uh, was one compelled speech, peer to peer, peer on peer harassment. I'm going through this essay you wrote discriminatory, discriminatory COVID practices. I think there'll be a lot of people interested in that. And then doubling down on all sides, which is but but uh, here's a question I have. Um, I don't think you can sue for this, but a lot of these things are done in such a way that you self-censor. You just figure it's not worth the trouble, and so you hold back. I mean, in some weird way, you, and we're talking with Kimberly Herman, who's the general counsel at uh, the uh, the Southeast Legal Foundation, you almost are saying to people, be courageous because you got to have the fight so we can win on the Constitution, right? If you sit home and self-censor, you're not even in the game. That's right. And we're seeing so many brave college students come forward that we work with every single week. We do trainings. We do webinars. Um, they can find us at slfliberty.org. And we come to them through Zoom right now. That's just the way of the world and help them understand right. the First Amendment, but they can stand up for their rights. So what are these some of these? What's a hate speech ban look like on a campus? What is that? What does that look like uh, for young college students? Yeah, it looks like um, if somebody doesn't like what you have to say, they're going to call it hate speech. They're going to say you are offensive, you're biased, and they're going to report you. They can report you um, anonymously, and then you can be subject to discipline. And under Biden, I truly believe that we're going to see this mandated across our country. See the Department of Education come out with some regulations saying, hey, school, you have to ban hate speech, which, by the way, as you know, doesn't even have a definition um, it's in the right, eyes of the holder right. and the eye of the hearer, the listener, and they can be expelled from their college campuses. It's it's very extreme, um, but it is what is happening. 
Where we're talking with uh, Kimberly Herman, and again, Southwest, <clears throat> excuse me, Southeastern Legal Foundation is slfliberty.org, slfliberty.org. Uh, back to the hate speech problem. Um, when you're, if you're a student on a campus, let's say, and you start a pro-life group or you want to, and you're blocked from doing it, but you have a women's group that started at the same time, and that group is advocating for women's choice and all this kind of stuff. Is there a lot of room to make the argument, I'm being targeted, you know, you're, my viewpoint or is it more you have to make the argument that your speech is just allowed in other words if somebody looks the other way at the group because they're in the woke category then that's not really that helpful or can you make that sort of that can you make that uh, sort of evidence of, of a bias part of the problem yeah you can absolutely make that argument um and we have that we had a student reach out to us just this week with a similar situation um where they're threatening her scholarship because of her pro-life views um, which is pretty startling. And so, yeah, you can absolutely make, make those arguments. They cannot discriminate against you because of your viewpoint. And both groups should be allowed to move forward, which is what we believe and what the Constitution demands. We, again, we're talking with Kimberly Herman, and her piece ran over at Campus Reform, which is a great uh, project of the Leadership Institute. They they run really, they do really good training, but they also run really good pieces. Uh, all right, this this one struck me here because I couldn't figure it out at first. Discriminatory COVID policies. So on college campuses. Um, what does that look like? And, and the, one of the examples is, is in here in your piece is that um, uh, they want people to um, uh, uh, tell on each other or, or report on each other is a better phrase. I mean, you know, report the violations. Um, is that is that is that uh, requirement um, in and of itself a problematic or is it just uncomfortable? I mean, I think I know some of the other ones you're saying at one of the universities, they they want it. Social justice protests are allowed. Other things are not. That seems obvious. But is this idea of uh, of sort of being a mandatory surrogate for Big Brother? Uh, is that a problem that you're seeing growing? It's actually a huge problem. And we're seeing administrators use it against students. Um, we thought we were going to see a lot of peer on peer, but it's more administrators saying that maybe somebody in a group wasn't wearing their mask. And typically it's because they were taking a drink of water when you actually look at the facts. But so-and-so wasn't wearing a mask all of the time. They're no longer allowed to table. So-and-so wasn't wearing a mask. They're no longer allowed to put up their signs around campus because they should have been wearing it while they were putting their sign up. Um, And typically they are wearing their masks, right? And so they're using Mm -hmm. it. Um, to to silence these students and to stop them from being able to talk to other students about their group by these kind of crazy factual allegations that when we get into them, they really aren't true. Um, mm-hmm. But they can also be anonymously reported. We've had a number of those situations, too. And then you have to prove and they have to go through the disciplinary process, which is it's really taxing. I mean, if you're an 18-year-old student on scholarship, that's very taxing. Uh, we're talking with Kimberly Herman, the general counsel at the Southeastern Legal Foundation's public interest law firm that uh, that helps uh, protect our rights, advocates for limited government. Um, and you can go uh, f- track them down at SLF, as in Southeastern Legal Foundation, slfliberty.org, uh, and find out more. Um, okay, but let me finish. Uh, the opening in your, co- in your essay, you start out one word, five letters, unity. And that's, mm-hmm. as you point out, that's the left's mantra, unity. And yet... Over and over with their agenda, uh, it feels like they're they're 
almost intentionally targeting people. Now, I get in their mind, maybe they think they're just doing what's right. Uh, in our mind, it feels like there's anything but unity. But from where you sit, a lot of it's outside the Constitution. That's the bigger the bigger thing that holds us together is the Constitution supposed to stop the basics. You can still be a jerk to each other, but you can't use government to shut down your speech or shut down your assembly. That's the that's the real uh, war on unity. That's right. And one of Biden's first actions was to declare a day of unity, which really is a day of you agree with me or you are silent. <laughs> you agree with me or you shut up, basically, um, or else we're going right. to make you shut up. So um, that's right. what we're fighting against. And we're, we're challenging that in court every single day. Well, and what about so now people are listening and they think, holy cow, this is uh, this is um, crazy. Where do they go? Where do you send them to go to report it? You have an anonymous reporting service. Is there a phone number? What do you tell people to do? Um, I mean, they they can reach us just through our website. We have a contact link there and it comes straight to me, straight to the general counsel. And I will field your complaints, field your questions. And um, we are here to help you. And um, we, uh, you know, applaud those who will stand up for their First Amendment rights. Very good. All right, Kimberly Herman, thank you for taking the time to, to uh, be with us again. Her piece is over campus reform. I'll put it up on our social media feed for everybody. And uh, again, General Counsel of the Southeastern Legal uh, Foundation, and it's slfliberty.org. Check it out. And if you have some interest or concerns, you can uh, look there and say, hey, and I'm sure they have lots of requests. And sometimes the silliest request might be the most important, but I bet you uh, they're good at helping you figure out what your rights are, even if it doesn't rise to the level of a complaint. So thanks very much, Kimberly. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to uh, have as a guest now someone who, as I mentioned in the introduction of the program, Star Parker has been one of the um, more thoughtful uh, leaders on the question of what conservatism means to help people who are facing tough times. So, you know, this it's, it's, it's is an old debate in terms of, you know, uh, how does welfare to work work? How do things that lift people up? Schools, especially education. And Star Parker's written books on these subjects, and she's communicated really well, and she's extraordinary. She had a piece over at townhall.com, our sister website, and it was called Biden's Anti-Unity Agenda. So first of all, welcome, Star. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm doing very well, Ed. It's good to be on with you. Thank you. So Biden's anti-unity agenda. Um, how do you feel, before we go into the details, you know, we're three weeks in or less than three weeks into this uh, into this administration, a lot of things changing, but how do you feel about it? <laughs> well, I'm trying to make sure that I don't have any feelings about <laughs> it, because if I do, I'd probably start weeping. I mean, 37 <laughs> executive orders in three Weeks. Now, this is not the way that you're to legislate. Legislating is the job of Congress, uh, not the job of the executive branch. And then to most of those executive orders were to overturn um, what Donald Trump had put in place, which was for the 74 million people that voted for him. So I think immediately uh, the Biden administration was off to a bad start to start, you know, this discussion about unity while at the same, same time they're shooting at you. 
<laughs> We're talking with Star Parker, and she is, I mentioned her organization. She's the president of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. She has a, uh, a weekly news talk show called Cure America. That's Center for Urban Renewal and Education, if you didn't see it. Cure America with Star Parker. Um, hey, Star, here's a question. A lot of other people do this now, the people that didn't do it. How come, why, why don't you run for office? I mean, people are, people respect <laughs> you even when they don't, even when they don't agree with you, they respect you. Have you ever thought about running for office? Well, actually, I was recruited to do that some years back, and I realized that my role is outside. I think that in the policy institutes, we can get a whole lot more done than inside. Uh, as many are noticing, the legislators are living year to year, wondering <laughs> if they're even coming back, and then they have to go and get consensus to get people to sign off on a piece of bill that may never even see the light of day and then go back to their constituents and answer for why they got nothing done. Uh, the role of the right. policy institutes, as you know, we can be much more refined and specific. So at Cure, we focus on uh, culture, race, poverty issues, and we really believe that um, the job of charity belongs to the church and local communities. So we want the government out. Uh, So much of our work is looking for ways to dismantle the welfare state. We're talking with Star Parker again. Uh, Star is the uh, the founder and uh, the great leader uh, on issues at the Senate, and her organization is Center for Urban Renewal and Education. Uh, Star, now back to your piece that was over at townhall.com, and I'll put it up on social media again. It's a few, it's a few days old now, but um, I, broadly speaking, Donald Trump's approach, I tried to describe to people, was he wanted to be captain of Team America. And while he periodically picked and choosed and talked about groups, he wanted to get he wanted to brag about the the the, the um, unemployment rate being way down in certain communities, African American others. Generally, his policies were lift everybody's boats, let that economy go ripping, you know, uh, and cut down on uh, illegal immigration. So the, the the wages come up, it forces the wages up. And and the Biden administration is much more inclined to play the hyphenated game where they identify people and they say this group we're going to help and that group we're not. You know, you, if you're if you're a and so here's my question as you watched our nation you know, shift. Um, there's a whole bunch of people that aren't in the hyphenated group to get help. If you're a middle class black man who worked hard to make it, you're not going to benefit from the hyphenated uh, uh, policies of Biden. If you're a, a you know upper middle middle class Hispanic woman and you made it working, you're not going to. And and it just feels like the whole thing is like t- dividing, dividing, dividing emotionally. Is that in the communities that I'm referring to? Is that becoming more stark? Is that why Trump did better than any Republican had done with some of the different uh, voting groups when you break them out that way? Well, I think what you're pointing to is accurate. And the divide and conquer approach is one to take over. It's it's where they're going. Uh, there are a bunch of Marxists going toward communism. And in order to get there, you've got to have a lot of distrust in the community. And you've got to overhaul the founding principles of our country, the three C's, I like to call them, the Christianity, the capitalism, and the Constitution itself. And so anytime you can break those things down or break down people groups that appreciate any one of those elements, then you're going to be able to move your agenda forward, which is what it looks like this Biden administration is all about, the progressive left. Um, But to your point about what happened under the Donald Trump administration, when you reduce taxes for all Americans and deregulate for all Americans, then all Americans benefit. The poverty rates fell to their lowest ever in the history of our country, and many, many more people were working, uh, even in our most hardest zip codes. 
Now, did the president uh, specifically uh, target some of these zip codes? Yes, he absolutely did, and mostly because they're very weak. Uh, so he wanted to strengthen them with ideas of school choice and ideas of, of more flexibility and housing opportunities, as well as to allow for capital to go in uh, to some of our most hard-hit distressed zip codes uh, through his um, uh, capital gain initiative uh, to allow for money went in there they wouldn't it wouldn't have to pay a capital gain tax so yes while you can um, help all americans through legislative ideas and or even executive orders uh, that is not what this administration that's currently in power in washington wants to do they actually have a one-size-fits-all philosophy they want very very big government and secularism and that's about all they really want uh, Star Parker is our guest, and Star Parker is the president of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, and uh, her weekly uh, talk show is Cure America with Star Parker. Uh, her essay is over townhall.com. I'll put it up on social media. Um, uh, Star, the, um, the, the Biden administration's policies as they've moved ahead, the one that's glaring that you we're wondering about is the teachers' unions seem to be holding the president, because his wife's a teachers' union member, hostage, and they're not mm-hmm. breaking through on school choice. It, 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 I mean, I know you agree it's time for school choice in America, but it, you know, the, the, is the, are the people going to demand it? Because without the people demanding it, I, I, I don't know if you're going to break through what the government, the government controlled schools have. Well, you know, it's an interesting one because you're starting to see it peel away in our most um, vulnerable areas where they, they're holding children hostage to the union philosophy. And, you know, education is still local enough that parents can demand for these opportunities of choice. There's really not much that the feds can do except get out of the way. Uh, They are in the way with their Department of Education. One of the beautiful things that uh, Secretary uh, Betsy DeVos attempted to do was allow for Title I students, which are under federal law, if you will, through their breakfast and lunch programs, to allow those students to go to any school that they wanted to, whether it was a religiously affiliated school, a public or private school. But that didn't get the light of day. Um, Unfortunately, it didn't gain any momentum. you're absolutely right. This Biden administration, through their Department of Education, is not going to try to kill school choice opportunities per se. What they're trying to do is more embolden the the unions in local areas so that there'll be much more uh, demand for the federal government when it comes to education, much more demand for money, for them to now start changing rules on schools uh, that want to you know, discipline children and other places that they can use the heavy hand of Fed, uh, mostly through the civil rights offices in these different departments to try to, uh, what they say, uh, build out uh, racial equity. And so there, there's, it's, it's, it's going to be a big challenge, but I'm a little hopeful uh, for what's happening on a local level, especially Chicago is getting quite a bit of attention because parents that are trapped in these failing neighborhoods and their kids still aren't in school are getting pretty upset. And I think that the unions yeah. may have, um, you know, a lot more explaining to do than they normally have to because they're, you know, just basically used to funding uh, political candidates. We're talking with Star Parker. Star, I just have a minute left, so uh, and I got a hard deadline. So, but I want to ask you this: a lot of voices have been silenced. They've been silenced on social media and others. You have a voice that makes people in power uncomfortable. Both parties, all parties. Have you found that you're being silenced? I don't. I haven't seen that story. Have you been able to escape uh, big tech censors? There, there are places where they want to, but I've always been very entrepreneurial. So we built our own uh, cure, uh, our Urban Cure, Cure America. Uh, with Star Parker, 
is available and it's on cable networks, mostly the Christian networks. We built our own blackcommunitynews.com. So we've pretty much uh, stayed a little bit safe, but make no mistake, they're canceling throughout the culture. And, you know, Vimeo's already taken us down. We're on our second strike with YouTube, but we're looking at ways to uh, own ourselves. And that way we won't have to Hmm. be subjected to a decision from big tech. Great. Thank you, Star. By the way, thank you for being so good at radio that you... Ed, if you have yeah. a second, though, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't yeah. put pressure on big tech to be regulated. This is out of control right. what they're doing. They need to be in the telecommunications act and get rid of 230. All right. Thank you, Star. Star Parker, she's amazing. I'll put all her stuff on social media. I got to run. Uh, we'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The Mexico City policy is a simple rule with a tremendous impact. Instituted by President Ronald Reagan in 1984, the Mexico City policy prevents U.S. government money from flowing to non-governmental organizations that perform or promote abortion. The policy is rolled back with every Democratic presidential administration and reinstituted with every Republican administration. So it's no surprise to see the openly pro-abortion Joe Biden roll it back once again. However, it's worth noting that President Trump not only reinstated the old Reagan policy, but actually expanded it to cover all U.S. foreign health care aid. The Mexico City policy should not be controversial. Whether you support abortion or not, federal tax dollars should not be used to promote a practice that is considered to be so controversial right here in the United States. This reality is underscored by a recent slew of developed nations that are legalizing abortion for the first time. The world was shocked in 2018 when Ireland, a nation that claims to be 78% Catholic, voted to legalize abortion for the first time. New Zealand followed suit in 2020, as well as Argentina and South Korea earlier this year. The last thing America should be doing is using our money to promote abortion worldwide. Despite this global turn of events, The United States remains one of the most permissive nations in the world when it comes to abortion. We're one of only seven nations allowing abortion on demand all the way until birth. That puts us in the company of such nations as communist China, North Korea, and Vietnam. Let's face it, America is behind the curve on the abortion issue. The Mexico City policy kept America from spreading abortion abroad. It's no wonder President Biden was so quick to rescind it. The left will not be satisfied until their pro-abortion propaganda permeates every corner of the world. The abortion industry wants to expand their profits into a global empire. We can't wait for other nations to correct America on this issue. As America goes, so goes the world. The American pro-family movement must work to protect the unborn on our own shores so the evil influence of abortion can be cut off at the root. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Despite the outrageous pro-abortion stance of many liberals, the vast majority of American people value human life. More than ever, pro-life voices need to stay vigilant and be heard. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're not backing down. Please, join us in the battle for life at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Now, I've been telling you for a few weeks uh, that um, the narrative machine, which you're probably getting tired of me hearing, uh, tired of me talking about, but I have to keep talking about it because you have to understand it. The narrative machine, the big three, the big three partners of the narrative machine, big tech, big media, and big government right now because the left is in power, but it's the left. Those three have a massive narrative machine. It's never been this fine-tuned. It's never been this effective. It uses neuroscience as well as the speed of Internet. It's very powerful. And in order to counter the narrative machine, you've got to have people and a narrative. You've got to have people and facts and details and moments that reframe the narrative. And I've told you before, I'm going to tell you again, one of the most valuable people writing and commentating at this moment in American life is Julie Kelly. Julie Kelly is over at American Greatness. She had another piece early on Tuesday. It posted. And the title is What Happened to Officer Brian Sicknick? So if you again, if you follow the narrative, follow the narrative machine, the narrative machine has been telling us November 3rd, perfect election, November 4th, anyone who doubted that it wasn't a perfect election is anti-American. And by about December 1st, the message was not just anti-American and misguided, but really starting to be, you know, troubled. And by January 6th, when the some people acted like idiots, most didn't. Almost a thousand, hundreds of thousands, million people didn't, but now it was locked in. The narrative machine said, you are, in fact, not just un-American and wrong-headed. You are actually seditious. You are part of a coup, an armed coup, an armed insurrection. And they parallel this to, you know, the moments, other moments in history, uh, the Civil War and all these things. The narrative machine, very powerful. Julie Kelly keeps pulling the string, saying, uh, wait a second, uh, what about that? What about the, what you're saying there? Uh, you listed a fact, armed guards, uh, armed insurrection, uh, nobody armed. Um, you know, the people that are being held without bail, uh, they seem to be sort of benign characters, maybe with a misdemeanor charge, and she keeps pulling these strings. And one of the strings that she pulled in this essay that was posted on uh, early on, uh, I guess it was, maybe it was late Monday uh, on February 8th. I guess that's the byline says February 8th. Uh, so it was, uh, I read it on Tuesday morning. And this one is about, again, Pelosi and the left honored the man, a Capitol, uh, a Capitol Hill police officer who died around the time, I think the day after the, uh, uh, the January uh, 6th events, and they had the flags at half-mast right away, and they had last week, uh, they had this incredible lying in state in the Capitol, and, and President Biden came with Jill Biden, and everybody honored him. Now, I'm for honoring anybody who dies, frankly, and especially men and women who are in blue or in the military. No matter when they die or how they die, these people have done a special service. They're worthy of our attention there's nothing more powerful in my mind than when you see a um, the honoring especially by the people uh, by like I remember when I was a kid and especially after 9-11 you saw it you'd have thousands of, of New York police officers lining the route where a fallen colleague's uh, hearse is being brought I mean there's honor right it should be honored but Julie Kelly just pulls a string and says, um, hold on a second. Officer Brian Sicknick, who they started out saying he was murdered. See, that was part of the narrative machine. It said it was a murderous, murderous, murderous. And they even murdered a, a cop is what they said. Well, then they sort of started to say instead of murder, he died. Initially, they say he died from injuries sustained. And the FBI didn't. At one point, they said murder. Another point, they, clarify, they clarified or they pulled back. They didn't say that. 
The point here is, we don't know what happened. And we're not being allowed to know. Anyone who was in that Capitol, there's so much video around, has been found. I mean, people are being found every day. And they're being arrested every day. You're telling me that there's not any video that links the people, the persons, the person, the I don't know how many, who actually uh, supposedly hit Officer uh, Sicknick? Let's get that guy or gal. I want to. But you're telling me you can't find them. So we're just supposed to trust the FBI and the Department of Justice that says that this happened. And so Julie Kelly just pulls a string on this and says, um, here, here's a quote from CNN. CNN says, investigators are struggling to build a federal murder case regarding fallen U.S. Capitol Police officer vexed by a lack of evidence that could prove someone caused his death. You hear that? Authorities have reviewed video and photographs that show Sicknick engaged with riders, but have yet to identify a moment in which he suffered his fatal injuries. In other words, with all the video, and by the way, uh, Washington, D.C. and the U.S. Capitol are, and I know this to be true, I know this from an intelligence official, Washington, D.C. is the most surveilled place in the world. In other words, cameras are watching, satellites are watching, people are watching everywhere, right? And the Capitol is the Capitol. So you're telling me that we're supposed to trust the intelligence officials and the FBI and the DOJ. Let me take it back. I don't know about intelligence. I'm misstating it. We're supposed to trust the FBI and DOJ and Nancy Pelosi for telling us what the truth is? Oh, come on. So Julie Kelly just pulls this thread, but pulls this thread and says, pulls a string, says, what's here? No medical examiner's report's been allowed. The family doesn't want much attention. I don't blame them. She says that in there. I don't blame them either. There's some talk that he died of a reaction to pepper spray. We just don't know, right? Again, not excusing anyone that abused anyone else, including people that abuse an officer. But when you don't get the facts in this world, in this nation where we're being so regularly misled, you have to pause and say, um, yeah, the narrative machine appears to be, again, big tech, big media, big government and the left using its power to push a data point so that at the, at the impeachment, as the impeachment trial started, it wasn't just a, uh, you know, a, a, a raucous vandalism. No, no. It was murderous, treasonous, coup. Well, my message, as always, is read Julie Kelly. Read Julie Kelly. She's fearless. She's smart. She's a great writer. And uh, she's on top of a lot of stuff. She's down the field. All right. Thank you to Noah, our great technical director, Joanna, for booking everything. And you for listening. Be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Thank you. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.